This is the Chillinois Podcast. I got busted with weed in Florida last year. Less than a gram of weed. And they took my happy ass to jail. I've been partying in Florida for years. I didn't even know they had laws. Looks to me like everybody just run amok down there. And I'll run amok with you. I will run the fuck out of a muck with you. This episode was recorded on Saturday, December 19th. I am Justine. And I am Cole Preston. We are the hosts of the Chillinois Podcast. I lost where I was going in the middle of that (laughs) sentence, but that's not unlike me, right? Um, So today we've got a really exciting show that I just want to get right into because, you know, we've been gone for a while and uh, we want to try to catch you guys back up to what's going on um, in the cannabis industry in Illinois. And we think that uh, there's nobody better to bring on than uh, Mike Fouché from GrownIn.com. So, Mike, welcome back to the show. How's it going today? Pretty good. Uh, All things considered that there's a pandemic and it's wintertime, you know, everything's just fine. Yeah, we're getting hit from all sides, aren't we, Mike? Uh, I don't I don't want to know what other horrible things could happen, but I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> yeah, we'll try to we'll try to just uh, keep our minds here. Right. You know, stay positive. Safe, safe spot. Yeah. Stay, stay positive. That's right. So, Mike, tell us about Grown In and uh, where we can find uh, your guys's materials. Uh, well, Grown In is a uh, twice weekly cannabis industry newsletter. Um, we show up in your email box on Monday and Thursday mornings at grownin.com, G R O W N I N. And we uh, cover Illinois, Michigan, and Missouri, uh, the three Midwest states. I guess you could call Ohio Midwest, but eh, they're, they're sort of Eastern. Uh, we cover the three Midwest states that where cannabis is legal and, uh, write about all of the business of it. And, uh, you can either read us online at the website or sign up for our email newsletter, which is free. Absolutely. Yeah, folks go to grownin.com. It's something that we read every week. Um, you know, like you say, cannabis is a fast moving, fast growing industry, and it's really hard to keep track of what's happening, who the expert experts are and who's just blowing spoke. So twice per week, grown in, will send you that free email focusing on the ins and outs of uh, the cannabis industry, telling you the names, companies, regulators, and business moves you need to know about uh, to better understand, you know, what is going on in this industry. So um, I may or may not have stole that description right off of your website, grownin.com. Um, but yeah, I just thought it um, kind of captures exactly what you guys are doing. So uh, yeah, I guess just to start off, what are some of the latest and greatest developments in the Illinois cannabis industry, Mike? Um, well, you know, I think that right now we're we're in a, a holding pattern uh, because new licenses haven't been added uh at all uh since the legalization of recreational cannabis um the only new licenses so far are the licenses the that each medical dispensary was allowed to have um and not all 55 of those have been exercised yet there were supposed to be 70 new licenses created in the late spring for dispensaries and then 40 craft grow and 40 um processing 
or infusion licenses that were created uh, in the summer. But all of those have been held up through a series of court cases and problems with the scoring uh, for that license approval process. Uh, so we're, what has happened is, is that Illinois has become a case study in how a very small group of people, all of them white-owned companies, some of them very large, have controlled a fast-growing market and have really scraped up all of the profits for themselves. Really not their own doing, although you could make some arguments that they're not helping the situation. It's really government fumbling um, that has limited the number of licenses and making it so that there's a very small group of people making a whole lot of money in cannabis in Illinois. And maybe even you could argue limiting the amount of choices and opportunities for consumers uh, to be able to get what it is that they want and need. Yeah, I mean, definitely. We have like uh, that just on that last point that you said, I mean, I think we have two solventless concentrate options on the market. You know what I mean? And um, with, uh, I mean, how many players would you say are, are playing right now? Is it 18 or 20? How many cultivators are like active? Oh, there's there's here? 20 cultivators. There's 20 cultivator licenses. Um, but of those cultivator licenses, uh, those are owned by, I think, 16 companies. And of those 16, really only about five or six have had enough capital and strong enough management in order to really grow something. So for instance, last week, um, a one of the cultivator facilities, which was kind of an interesting move by the state, but in retrospect is kind of not the best idea. Uh, one of the licenses was given to the Shelby County Community Services, which is what it sounds like. It is the Shelby County, which is downstate Illinois. It's a very small county of about 25,000 or so people uh, who um, it is their um, social services agency and Shelby County Community Services got a license for cultivation. Well, you know, Cultivation is an expensive process, takes many millions of dollars in order to build a strong operation. Shelby County never really got off the ground. Um, the information that we got from BioTrack uh, that was leaked to Gronin that we reported back in April showed that Shelby County had done virtually nothing uh, with their license by that time. And if you go to a store, you won't see any brands that come from Shelby County cult, uh, Community Services. And so that license was sold just last week to uh, Red, White, and Boom, or Bloom, excuse me, uh, the uh, fairly large, fast-growing uh, cannabis company that I think is based in, in Michigan. Um, and they are you know, going to take over the license and probably have enough money to invest and grow it. So hopefully we'll see another cultivation source in Illinois that, that is significant. But really there's very few. Uh, and part of that is because of the number of licenses that the state has given out. Very, very, very few cultivation licenses. You know, you compare Illinois, which has, uh, I think, roughly 11 and a half, 12 million people, and there's only 20 cultivation licenses. 
and you look at Missouri, which also has a controlled number of licenses, they gave away 60 cultivation licenses. And if you look at Michigan, Michigan has something like 270 cultivation licenses that, that they have authorized. So, you know, 20 is a really, really small number. Absolutely. And uh, we actually just had some uh, audio issues, so we switched oh, okay. um, devices on you, Mike. Um, you want to ask we, that we, uh, Well, we, heard, we actually heard and got most of what you said, so luckily okay. um, we didn't lose anything there. Um, but we'll just continue. Um, uh, so sorry, folks, if you just heard a little bit of a drop in quality. We're still figuring things out on our new setup. Um, so we're, we're on different microphones now. So uh, again, apologies, but yeah, we were actually going to ask you about, um, Shelby County community services. It's super unfortunate because like you say, it was like, it was one of, I think it was the only cultivation license in play that was technically speaking, not for profit. Yeah. Um, That's and right. you know, you want to talk about some of the things they did for the community. We actually had a guest on, um, that said, you know, they, they employed special, special needs employees to help uh, with trimming and other parts of the, you know, cannabis cultivation process. And so, yeah, huge loss for the Illinois cannabis market. I, I think we could both agree there. Um, did you mention, uh, we may have missed this. Did you mention who they were purchased by? Uh, yeah. Red, white, red, white, and bloom, uh, yeah. which is, uh, I think a Michigan based company. And gotcha. Um, you know, they're, they're capitalized, they have money to grow. Um, and, and, you know, cultivation is very expensive. And it actually, there, one of the things I'm learning a lot about is, is that there is a big difference between having a, you know, 1000, 2000, 3000 square foot, uh, grow facility and a 25,000 square foot grow facility and a 150,000 square foot growth facility. Each of those things, each of those sizes are really orders of magnitude on a logarithmic scale of how difficult it is. Uh, you know, first off, because the plants require so much uh, individual touching by humans, you know, you, you can't mechanize a lot of the stuff. Right. Um, and second, because uh, there is a, constant because you're using a similar strain or the same strain in so many rooms there's a constant danger of white mold spreading very quickly or aphid spreading very quickly i've had conversations with uh, interesting people to talk to or people who run testing companies because they hear all stories about cultivation centers and there are numerous cultivation centers that lose multiple grow rooms very quickly because of a spread of white mold or aphids. And, you know, that can be hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of losses, uh, you know, in a week, poof, gone. And, you know, then you got to start all over again. And if you don't have highly trained management and well-trained staff in your cultivation facility, uh, you're in danger of losing a lot of money very quickly. See, now that brings, uh, you know, I think a conversation we've had in the past, that brings the whole craft uh, cultivation 
like idea that the fact that sorry i'm all over the place the fact that craft cultivation is not profitable what you were just talking about and like the square footage they're allotted out of the gate i just like everything you just talked about i think really like uh justine i'm lost here what am i trying to say it really like shows how like I mean, I talked to a few craft cultivators. I guess what I'm trying to say is that they're like, yeah, there's no way that it's going to stay at, what is it, 5,000 square feet or 10,000 feet? They're like, they're going to, because they, there are provisions that allow them to expand their craft grow, I, I think, like in the future. Do you think that, this is kind of like a totally different question. Do you think that with as long as everything is taken and everything else, do you think that we'll just see them like say you know what just you can go full full square footage or do you think they're still gonna leave them at that like really limited square footage right off the bat and i know that's a tough question to answer but what do you what do you hypothesize i guess well the top end so what you're talking about is the top end for a craft growth facility will be fifteen thousand square feet after a couple of years of of allowing to grow uh their size and i think they have to start it is it 4,000 or, or 5,000? It, it, it's a four digit number. It's not very big. And, um, you know, an argument that a lot of craft growers have is, is that that really is very difficult in terms of scale and for them to be able to compete in the Illinois market, which is dominated by uh, players that have hundreds of thousands of square feet and are able to press the cost of, uh, or their, their sale price very low. And so craft growers have talked about a number of different things. One that they've asked about is, could the state legislature change the law so that they could have a larger top end number? 100,000 is the number I think that's kicked around. Uh, another is something that could potentially, I think not be something that requires a law or legislation, but could be done in rules by the Department of Agriculture that would allow craft growers to band together in a single facility. So, you know, let's say you had four people with their $15,000 license, they could, or 15,000 square foot license, they could band together to have a 60,000 square foot facility and they could call it a cooperative. Um, that is one idea that's kicked around, I think, by by craft growers that they'd like to be able to do. But, you know, this is not in the interest of the companies that currently control cultivation in Illinois, and they have been pushing against this pretty hard. Um, so uh, it, it it's a good question. Uh, first off, if the state will listen to existing cultivators uh, when they make rules. But the other is um, the state legislature has been really influenced by um, the large players because the large players can afford to obtain significant lobbying muscle. And uh, the I think the general thinking is, is the state legislature doesn't really understand how cannabis works. Uh, and uh, it, it are pretty much at the whim of the large players in the state. So 
the idea that craft growers might be able to make changes in the law, I think is, is a non-starter right now. Right. Well, well said. Yeah. I think one of the, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And yeah, the thought I was having, that was kind of in, incomplete that you helped me like solidify is like the conversation you were talking about with the fact that they're not able to scale up. Like, I feel like that all of the problems with pests greatly contributes to that scale up. Like if they have one little outbreak, like they're basically just fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's right. Um, but you know, in, in Michigan, they have, uh, small growers they have a thing called a class a license which you can grow up to 10,000 square feet um and those have been somewhat successful but the difference in michigan is that you can obtain your class a license and your retail license together and your manufacturing license together and have them all in one place for a relatively low cost and so you could grow and manufacture and sell in one place. You can't do that in Illinois. The craft growers still have to sell their product to a dispensary. And, you know, dispensary licenses will continue to be difficult to obtain. And, uh, you know, as we've seen, it, we don't really know where the first 70 licenses are going to go, but there's a good chance that they're going to go to a small group's 70 licenses to 21 people who nominally won the awards last September. Uh, so, you know, that means, I don't know, what is 70 divided by 21? You know, three or four licenses to each of those people. Uh, who knows? Yeah. So uh, we just switch back to our... Uh regular mics can you hear us again? yeah okay cool i'm not sure what happened but i think uh we're gonna try to roll the dice and see uh what goes on if anything else pops up uh, we'll just try to do a transition like that so i i appreciate you being flexible with us while we iron out these kinks mike okay um i'm so, still talking at my um, computer anyway. nothing has changed from my perspective <laughs> nothing has changed it's been just sheer panic on this side <laughs> yeah we're just like trying to put shit together sweating trying to keep the joint lit you know nobody knows it's <laughs> great messing up. <laughs> yeah we're yeah we're making the magic happen so you know we were talking about licenses and stuff uh the ones that are active we're hoping for new ones um we, we're just talking about sccs being acquired by red white and bloom i'm literally shedding a tear right now because uh, I loved SCCS's CO2 oil. It was some of the best oil on the market. And what was great about it is that they held at $60. I never saw them raise their price um, on the CO2 oil. And it was just such a versatile product. You could eat it. You could vape it. You could dab it. You, you know, you could make it into topicals. Um, it was just the all-in-one product. And I mean, there are other CO2 oils on the market, but SCCS was really doing it right in my opinion and they were one of the only uh cultivators that was that are displaying terpenes um on the readout because because of course that's not legally required in illinois to to list the terpene readout um but as we found out mike you were mentioning people from uh testing facilities we actually just had tim cash from orgo labs uh they're one of the um labs in the state of illinois that are accredited by the illinois department of ag and test 
uh, cannabis here in the state. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely a very interesting conversation. So I just wanted to bring that up and uh, plug that. But just, you know, on the conversation of, or on the topic of licenses, I was reading, you guys reported, um, I believe that there's six Cura Leaf licenses that are up for grabs. Can you tell us about what is going on with that? So they, it's a bit of a misnomer that they're Cura Leaf licenses. They're not licenses that are Cura Leaf. They are licenses that belong to two companies that Cura Leaf is in the process of buying. Uh, ah. And in order for Cura Leaf to purchase these two companies, they have to offload these licenses because they cure leaf would only be allowed to have 10 licenses in total. And uh, these two companies together add up to 16 licenses. So uh, they got to unload six of them. Gotcha. Uh, and you know, the, the prices that we're hearing on offer for these six licenses are sky high. You know, the one thing we know is that a group offered a group of, uh, black entrepreneurs offered $54 million and that number was too low. And that, uh, we understand that, uh, Verano and Pharmacan also made bids and, you know, we've heard significantly higher numbers, tens of millions of dollars more. Uh, you know, I, I can't say exactly what the number is because nobody has confirmed those and I don't want to put anything out in the ether that I don't know for sure, but sure. significantly more than $54 million, uh, cash. Wow. So, you know, we're talking about at least $10 million per license in Illinois is, is the going rate. Um, and that is really staggering. Uh, I think that that's a reflection of a number of things. It's, it's a reflection of how few licenses there are that are operating right now and how big people think the market is and will be in the coming year. And also, I think it's a reflection of how ass backwards the state of Illinois is in terms of creating new licenses, that the market has very, very little confidence that there are going to be new licenses created anytime soon. Yeah, I know in my line of work with, um, I mean, I'm essentially tech support for dispensaries, but um, we see a lot of licenses changing hands in other states. And I, I think if other states had a price tag that was, you know, $54 million is the low, <laughs> the low offer, um, then I think that that would definitely, we wouldn't see as many licenses changing hands. And that's really, um, that really puts things into perspective for how things are run in the state of Illinois, as far as the cannabis market goes to know that, you know, these licenses are worth just astronomical amounts of money here in our state, where in, you know, a state like Oklahoma, it's 2,500 bucks to get your license. But um, I was telling Cole, before the podcast, I was reading through the Illinois cannabis bill and kind of doing the math. And I'm like, man, it's a minimum of 640,000 just for the application that you have to put in. And that's just insane. But yeah, yeah, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised out of the state of Illinois. <laughs> My thing is like, 
I feel like you like the point you made earlier, Mike. Growing, if you actually wanted to grow cannabis at scale, that costs enough. Why are we making the licenses so expensive? Like, but I, I feel like I know the answer. It and and it's kind of I'm reading from one of your articles, um, Alex Gasjevich. You guys, uh, sorry if I said his name wrong, but yeah, he's gonna write. Yeah, your co colleague um, Brad Spearson did some record uh, reporting, and I was just kind of aghast at what this uh, Gastovich guy said, and not like aghast in a bad way, but it's just like kind of spelling it out. I mean, he literally said, um, you know, the new rec laws in New Jersey and Arizona create some of the most appealing adult use markets in the U.S. As both states have limited licenses, large populations, and strong tourism industries, I think that's the key. Uh, all these companies like limited licenses, large populations and strong tourism industries. Like I feel like Chicago is like a fucking like that's like the definition of Chicago, large population, limited licenses, strong tourism. And, but then literally later in the article, he said, we're looking at New Jersey in particular to be the next Illinois. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like the yeah. writings on the wall. The, uh, I feel like that's how these multi-state operators like to, to operate. And I get it. I mean, think about it limited licenses so that means limited competition large population plenty of customers you don't you don't even really have to worry about it and that's the thing in illinois like um there's no incentive to offer lower prices really a rewards program anything because we're talking about i mean six players basically um you know so i I think that's right um you know there's a there's a number of interesting things that that we're all dealing with historically here that have led to where we are. The first is that when cannabis is legalized in each state, generally there's this overriding fear among conservatives that, uh, and when I say conservatives, I don't mean just Republicans. I mean, you know, there are conservatives of all stripes and, and this can include large portions of the African-American community led by pastors, uh, as well as uh, rural and suburban conservatives, that having cannabis uh, in a community is potentially disruptive and immoral and can create a whole series of new criminal elements and other problems that these that communities want to stop. And so there are a whole series of requirements that are generally larded on to these licenses uh, that limit who can be players and the requirements include capital that you have to be able to have so that you can manage it requirements include really amazingly intense security systems uh, that places have to have limitations in terms of how you manage your employees and and those sort of things. And so you get into a situation where there's only a very small group of people who are able to afford and be able to operate a cannabis business. But then uh, as time goes on, people start realizing, well, you know, the wacky tobacco isn't so bad and uh, maybe it's really not causing too many problems in our community. Uh, And so then the people who tend to have a foothold are the larger organizations and the larger businesses. So you you create this, uh, you know, cycle 
where it becomes really difficult for anyone that isn't a large organization to be successful in cannabis. And I think that that's only going to be multiplied with time. Uh, you know, I've spoken to a, a whole series of, in the last few weeks, I've been talking to executives of various ancillary services companies, everything from marketing to point of sale systems to security companies. And what executives from all these companies say, and, and their business is to try and figure out where plant touching cannabis companies are going. What they say is they expect that the cannabis companies that can build large organizations that think about analytics and think about enterprise systems, you know, rather than ma and pa operations are the ones that are going to be really growing a lot and are probably going to be pricing out and pushing out a lot of the smaller cannabis businesses. And then when cannabis is descheduled on in the federal government, you know, we should see the stigma of cannabis go away and the companies that are going to be ready to capitalize on this big change, which is going to mean a whole series of more debt capital and bank lending and large institutional investors and big traditional companies getting into the cannabis THC CBD business. The ones who are going to be ready to capitalize are going to be the largest companies. You're not going to see, you know, Ma's marijuana shop going to be, you know, making money. You're going to see Big Co. Uh, so I think we're already beginning to see a series of circumstances where you can see where the path is going to go. Gotcha. Well, Isn't that depressing? It is. <laughs> I mean, it is ultimately because, like, I mean, basically what I feel like what you just said in a nutshell is like, these people have set themselves up good, so they're going to be fine. But the people that are already set up good, as soon as it's like not a, a headache or kind of a pain in the ass to get into the industry, because that's what's keeping a lot of people out of the industry right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's just kind of a pain in the ass to have to deal with like the banking part of it. Like you can't get you can't nobody will lend to you and you also can't put your like you have a you'll have a hell of a time putting your cash somewhere. It's going to be just like that scene in Scarface where you're pulling up with a bag of cash and you got to have that right bank to, uh, to put it in. You know what I, I mean? think that's true, but I think also there's a stigma component that's pretty big. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, my partner and I, we've both had conversations with people in other industries, hospitality, consumer packaged goods, you know, so like food, things, health and wellness, and, and people in all those companies, there is still a very big stigma around cannabis. And you and I, we're having a conversation where we're really kind of focused on just regular business stuff uh, because we're steeped in this and we think about this on a regular basis. So it's not really a stigma, but for everyone else, boy, this is some weirdo stuff. Uh, you know, you, we're, we're really bleeding edge freakazoids. I mean, right. you know, my family that's out, uh, you know, in the South, boy, they think I'm some kind of, you know, I'm like a mix between Cheech and Chong and <laughs> Al Capone. I mean, you know, there's, it, it's a, 
And I don't think that that's unusual. Yeah. So no, I think my aspects is huge. Definitely. Definitely. Well, it's kind of amazing too how um, people kind of craft their own narrative about cannabis once they start making money from cannabis, whether yes. it's directly or in a roundabout way, once they find out the kind of revenue that you can bring in from being involved and in being a business owner, then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've I've heard um, people who own dispensaries or own cultivation facilities telling the company that I work for, oh, I don't trust people in the cannabis industry because they're all a bunch of potheads. I'm right. like, but you trust the money that they're making for you. So, you know, you gotta right. you gotta pick and choose your battles here. You can't tell us that we're all bad and then capitalize off of it. That it doesn't work that way. You know, one of the things that I found that's very very interesting is in uh conservative parts of the country where cannabis is legalized, whether it's in downstate Illinois or Missouri or uh, wherever, when I have conversations with people who are come from a conservative background about how they got into cannabis, the number one thing they say is, well, it's for veterans. And I see how this has really helped veterans. And, you know, I think there's truth to those stories. But there's a huge, big, giant smokescreen, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is it's not the veterans. It's also that you're making a pile of cash. Uh, and, yeah. You know, there, there is definitely the money is a huge, huge deal. And I think the money is really going to be everyone's going to tell different stories about why it is that they got into cannabis. But money is going to be the number one reason as we go along. Yeah, definitely. I mean. Um, it's funny because like, it, it's like, it did, like you say, it didn't really happen because we all agreed that like, you know, this is a nonviolent crime. You're not hurting anybody like blah, blah, blah. In fact, um, we've actually made, this is a conversation we've had in the past, Brad, I'm just, or sorry, Mike, I'm curious to, um, you know, hear your thoughts on this. Isn't it strange that we've gone from like before cannabis was legalized for adult use um, and it was decriminalized, right? Uh, I believe Bruce Rauner passed that into effect. Uh, I think when we talked about it, um, it had come to Bruce Rauner first. And I think it was like 28 grams or 30 grams. And he was like, no, no, that's too much. If you lower it, um, I will pass it. And I think he also passed some measures related to the Illinois medical cannabis program, but I always point that out because Bruce Rauner, I like that, that it's just interesting to me that he actually did end up decriminalizing cannabis. But the most interesting thing is that, so that made, you know, possession of 10 grams or less a citation, basically. So no longer was it anything that was like a criminal offense. It was just a citation that you pay off and, you know, it's, you know, you're done with it. But now that cannabis is legalized, um, if you have... Like if you're, if you have a baggie in your pocket in your car, um, technically you can get stuck with a class A misdemeanor now, which is crazy. The, the punishment has gone up since adult use has been legalized. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, it, that I think that like kind of reiterates your point, which is like, it's the almighty dollar. It, it, 
in all aspects. It, do, it does not have to do with giving you the actual right um, to possess cannabis because technically speaking, there's strings or there's a, there's a, um, uh, okay, let me put it this way. You can't, it's, it is legal for you to possess cannabis in the state of Illinois, but for some people only a certain amount. And by some people, I mean just like normal adults that don't have a medical card. Those people are limited to 30 grams. If you have more than that, well, technically you're out of compliance with the law. So it's like there's these like uh, impending fact. I can't think of what I'm trying to th- uh, say. There's like these um, clauses. There's the like, like the, it's like, yes, you can have it, but you can't have that much. Yes, you can transport it, but it must be in these like certain containers, which like we that's not out of the ordinary with regard to yeah. containers. Like we see that with alcohol, right? So I'm not not necessarily complaining about that. But again, my 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 the kind of theme and I'm all over the place. What I'm trying to say is like they did not legalize cannabis because they thought, oh, man, you know, we need to right the wrongs of society. They looked and they heard cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. You know what I mean? So, I think that's right. Um just to get off of a depressing topic, uh, Mike, uh, let's <laughs> talk about something maybe, you know, hopeful uh, that's going to happen in the state of Illinois that makes me hopeful, at least. Um, I was reading an article that you guys wrote about Illinois regulators and legislators scrambling to get licenses on the street despite le- legal tangles, something we've been kind of talking about through this episode. Um, but one of the things that made me happy and I just wanted to report on the podcast, it, it, uh, this is something you wrote. Uh, For now, according to sources, an Illinois House Senate Cannabis Working Group, in consultation with the Pritzker administration, has discussed the idea of advancing two bills. One that addresses less controversial issues like badging requirements and untethering medical patients to one dispensary and some definition changes. Um, And that was from, it was reported by you, but that was uh, from Pamela Altoff uh, from Cannabis Business Association of of Illinois. I just wanted to report that that's really, really awesome to hear that we might see some of these changes. I mean, everybody, I think, knows what what you mean by untethering medical patients to one dispensary. As it stands, you got to switch your, you know, Illinois medical cannabis license over to a new dispensary if you want to shop there. So this would make it, I would presume, uh, so that you just go to the front desk and they look at your card and they check your allotment and they let you in. Um, but right. do you know anything about the badging requirements? Like what is, is it just making it easier? Cause I know that there is a lot of red tape with uh, getting people badged and like, it's hard to just get an employee in there sometime for these dispensaries. There is, and the state requires, uh, I can't, I, I'm trying to remember the process here, but the state requires every single person who works in a dispensary or a cultivation facility to have a badge before they're allowed to even go onto the presence, the the premises of a facility. And the badge process is slow and cumbersome. Uh, You have to fill out paperwork and then you have to submit it to the state agency. And then the state agency has to say, okay, everything's fine. And then it's sent to a contractor and then a contractor prints the badge and then mails the badge to you. And you have to have the physical badge uh, before you can do anything. And that's Uh, something that, um, you know, I personally have been through the badging process and, you know, about this time a year ago when we were getting ready for adult use to come into play, 
um, the dispensary that I worked for the, I'm not going to say the name of the corporation cause I've probably said it a few times on here already, but they really drug their feet about hiring more bud tenders, um, to add on to our crew before the start of the year and January 1st hit. And those people, you know, it was a, a six week process before they would be receiving their badges. So here we are on January 1st and we've got, you know, seven or eight employees that can't even come into the dispensary or can't but get behind the counter, even though they technically work for us all because, you know, this badging process is such a long drawn out thing. You send in all of your information and then you just have to sit and wait for weeks before you're actually able to work. It's insane. That's a really long time. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's especially a long time for people that are hourly workers. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I think, I think it's changed possibly. But I wonder yeah, what else they're it, proposing. I think the it may not be six weeks anymore because I know when I got badged, it um, it was only two or three. But because of the amount of bud tenders they were trying to get badged before January 1st, ah. it really slowed down the process. But even then, I mean, you're exactly right, Mike, that for an hourly worker, if it's somebody who normally at an employer before you leave your previous employer and go into the dispensary, you need to give them a two weeks notice. But if you have no idea when that badge is actually going to show up, you could put in your two week notice and then still be waiting for another week or two before you can start making a paycheck at the dispensary. So it really kind of screws with people's livelihoods if they're trying to get into the cannabis industry which then, you know, once you start making the money, you got to be careful about which bank you're going to go with. And there's all kinds of just roadblocks put in the way for people in the cannabis industry that really hopefully can get removed here in the next year or two. Wait a minute. So there are people who work at dispensaries have, have lost their bank accounts. She got a, a direct letter. Yeah. From her bank. Yeah. I, I got notified by, I was banking through a large corporation bank here in central Illinois and um, got notified and they let me know that if any of my income comes from cannabis, then my account is going to be closed. So I had to go to a bank that was not FDIC regulated um, in order to make sure that my account wasn't going to be closed. Basically they make them go to credit unions and, and not to speak for you, Justine, but I thought you might find this interesting, Mike, like her, it was the manager at the time of the dispensary. Like, he was trying to get a housing loan and, and, you know, couldn't get that because he had to say that I work at a dispensary, you yeah. know? And, wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. They don't make it easy. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it's kind of okay. sketchy too, how they, you know, I mean, you have to find a credit union, you know, you don't have a, an FDIC bank. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel safer banking, you know, with FDIC, but they'll call you out on it. It, it sounds like so. Wow. Um, and that's kind of a consistent thing we've heard. So yeah, it's uh kind of, it's really fucked up, you know? Um, but uh, so um, one thing I wanted to also report, this is exciting news for Illinois. I'm reporting off of grownin.com. Once again, folks were joined by Mike Fouché from grownin.com. It is a cannabis uh, industry newsletter. Um, they basically send out uh, 
an email twice per week. It's free to sign up. If you go to grownend.com, um, you can sign up. It's really easy. It's actually on the right-hand side of their website. You can see, uh, get the newsletter and just type in your information. Bingo, bango, bongo. You got all the latest news, cannabis news. I fucking love grownend.com. So, and uh, if you refer people, we'll give you stuff. Oh, oh hey. Shit. Oh, so shit. If, you, if you refer five people, we'll give you a very cool refrigerator magnet. Ooh. <laughs> hey, I'm going to, I'm going to refer 10 people. We'll send you a t-shirt. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's pull together Cole and figure out 10 people that we know so we can. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely get that done. <laughs> we can definitely get that done. And I know our listeners right now, they're obsessed with just like swag like that shirts, uh, magnets, stickers. So uh, I bet you you're going to get some re referrals off of that as well. So folks, I have a there lot you go. of refrigerator magnets. I've, I've got refrigerator magnets for days. Come Good on. Shit. Come get them. <laughs> cool. So exciting news. Uh, as reported by grownin.com, six municipalities in the metropolitan Chicago area, including Wilmette, Elk Grove, Village, uh, Batavia, Park Ridge, Mount Prospect, and Glen Ellen, all approved adult use marijuana sales via voter referendums last week. That's kind of interesting to me, Mike, that there's still voter referendums going around for uh, uh, cannabis sales. It's just a quick note on that. Uh, it's kind of funny. I, without divulging where we're from, there was a hearing on, on exactly that. And I just kind of broke down those numbers that, that Justine was talking about at the end of the pod or at the beginning of the podcast where it's like, well, what did you say? Like 650,000, $640,000. Yeah. Just for the license. And I basically just like, like, look, I don't even know why we're having this conversation right now. It costs 650,000 at a minimum. If you want a license, this town is not going to see anything like that yeah. coming here. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, are you seeing that a lot still voter referendums on, on like the sale of cannabis? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean the, the suburbs are, are starting to pass them um, because I think they're realizing, Oh, the suburb next door is doing this and we're missing yeah. out on all this cash. And a big issue for suburbs is always, how do you, how do you get revenue? That's not property tax. And so when they see that there's a whole bunch of sales tax revenue that's flowing into the suburb next door, they think, oh, we need that. We need that money. Um, right. So that that is happening definitely in in suburban Chicago, but not really in other parts of the state. I mean, there's still a really, really, really big stigma in other parts of the state. You know, if you if you follow the papers downstate Illinois, um, you know, Metro East has had, which is the St. Louis suburbs in Illinois, uh, has had a, a bunch of towns where there have been just these knockdown, drag out fights about whether or not to legalize cannabis. Um, and, you know, Peoria County, which is pretty populous, hasn't you know, the area surrounding the city of Peoria has not allowed cannabis and, and other parts of the state haven't. So this is still, a, you know, when you're in conservative parts of Illinois, this is still a real struggle. Um, and, and that's not just in Illinois, it's, it's in Michigan too. Um, you know, Michigan, the way the law is there is, is that uh, 
the town has to opt in to allow a license before a license can be approved. And of the 1,700 municipalities in Michigan, um, only something like 180 of them have approved medical cannabis sales, and only 80 have sold uh, approved recreational sales or production. Um, you know, Missouri, the the state government has basically taken municipalities out of the decision making process. So once you get your state license, you can go anywhere you want. Although the the towns have to approve the zoning. Um, so you know, there are certain towns that have really frowned on that. Um, you know, it it's a it, it's a struggle in, in a lot of parts of uh, Illinois that are still more conservative. Yeah, yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, isn't there something, I don't mean to put you on the spot with this one, but isn't there something in the law that basically, well, it, yeah, it basically says, you know, um, like kind of to the effect that cities can still make these decisions, which is why, of course, they're having these conversations, but like just to kind of put it, take it another way, you know, one of the things we've heard in Chicago from Mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is that like she's told CPD like, uh, we're not going to prosecute people that are smoking or like don't bother people that are smoking on their porch or on their decks. Have you heard about that? Um, I have, um, but you know, I, I don't really, I don't really know how much, how faithfully that's being applied by the police. Yeah. I guess what I was going to ask though, is I didn't know if you had heard of anything like um, anything along those notes in any other areas of the state. I personally haven't, but like, not only like like either a ban or an allowance on kind of smoking on your own property and open because that's one of the weird things it's like it's the way the law is written it's almost like you could they can set it up to where it's like yes it's legally legal for you to possess but you need to do it in, in like your fucking closet with the windows drawn um but like uh, i think another thing they could technically restrict is uh like home cultivation do you know if that's true or not I, i'm i'm honestly just kind of uh spitballing here because I, I just wonder you just kind of got me thinking like i wonder if these towns are having any of these other other conversations because like well the law is is that so long as whatever you're growing is not visible from a public area mm -hmm. you're fine so gotcha. if you have an eight foot tall fence around your backyard you're in good shape right um but you know if you decided that you're gonna grow your weed right next to your tomatoes in your front <laughs> yard um, that's, that's going to be a problem. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I just kind of wondered if, if those conversations had gone really anywhere else, uh, I had a bad way of asking it, but, uh, like, I, uh, I don't like, know. I, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the general thing that I hear is that, um, police officers are, uh, it has a lot to do with not only what town you're in, but also what the police is like in your town. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that's the case everywhere. Right. Um, and cops can decide that they're going to harass people. Yeah. And sometimes they do, uh, you know, that's, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> it's all good. Do you, do you, uh, do you guys talk to the fuzz? I'm just joking. Do you guys have any law enforcement sources though? And, and really what I'm trying to ask, I know that sounds like a loaded question. Um, if you do, what has their experience been so far with cannabis legalization? 
do you? And you know, that's a really good question. I, I spent a lot of time talking to police officers three or four years ago about police reform issues or two or three years ago. And I haven't gone back to them about cannabis. Um, I Maybe I need to do more of that. I yeah, I would be that I would definitely be interested to hear if you do have contacts with the law enforcement, because I've I've personally talking to some people at law, in law enforcement and I've actually been um, pretty, you know, refreshed um, in the sense that they're just they're, I don't see really any fighting, at least with the people that I know. They're they're just treating it like they treat basically anything else. Um, and by that. Uh, and I mean, I know I, I'd like to say I know some good people in law enforcement, but I swear all cops work the same in the sense that it's like they figure out what the law is. They figure out how they can get you. <laughs> and like that is what it is. But but really, the, I say that jokingly, you know, my experience, at least so far with law enforcement is just that they find themselves kind of interested. So they verse themselves in the law. Sometimes they run away with the wrong understanding. A lot of law enforcement officers that I meet, and I always correct them on this, is they always say that it has to be in dispensary packaging. And I'm always like, that is not in the law. I always say that it's, you know, it's got to be a sealed, childproof, odor-proof container. And I always also tell them, I was like, and that doesn't mean it's, you know, tamper evident. That doesn't mean that you can like say, oh, the sticker is, um, you know, it's been opened. So I'm going to hit you with improper like transportation. Now, if it's sealed, you know, so all the way closed, um, you know, and, and then and in some sort of container like that, because I actually have hit in a conversation with law enforcement, I've talked to them about like, okay, because they've referenced, you know, that you might need dispensary packaging. So I said, okay, well, home cultivation is legal now. As a medical patient, I still need to be able to travel with my medicine. How do I do that? And they're like, well, that's a, that's a good question. And I was like, yeah, I think that's why the law was written that way <laughs> because it, it doesn't say that it needs to be in packaging from the dispensary. It, like I, I already said it, but um, yeah. So yeah. that was my whole, my whole little tangent about law enforcement, but uh, Mike, I'm going to stay tuned uh, for your, con for, I might hit you up here in a few months and see if you've talked to any of your cop buddies. <laughs> yeah. Let's Anybody see if I find something out. I'd, I'd, that would be very interesting. Cool. All right. Well, um, I, you know, has anything else really happened? Like you said earlier, um, craft cultivation still kind of in the courts with regard to that. Um, do you, do you see anything in the, in the future that we can be hopeful for, um, with regard to, you know, cannabis in Illinois? Um, well, I think that there's going to be, there is going to be a, hearing for one of the dispensary cases on monday we'll see where that progress goes um not quite sure what's going to happen there uh the expectation is is that before uh christmas the case that the craft cannabis the craft growers filed um asking the state to immediately award craft grow licenses um that decision is supposed to be handed down by the judge before Christmas. Um, not quite sure, you know, what that will be um, and uh, how that outcome will go. You know, we'll, we'll find out. I hope it's an early Christmas present. 
Yeah. Well, I was just thinking to myself, you say before Christmas, but with how the state's been running the cannabis program this year, maybe we'll hear about it in March. <laughs> oh, I think, well, that this is a judge. And so, the, you know, it's a different kind of thing. And, and yeah. the judge uh, in the hearings, the judge has expressed a lot of sympathy for the craft growers and the situation that they're in. Um, so I would expect for some sort of ruling one way or the other uh, before Christmas. And hypothetically, if the ruling went the way the craft growers wanted to go in this case, would that mean that these craft growers that brought this case, only these craft growers, would they like, just hypothetically, I'm, I don't mean to put you into a hypothetical, but what is it? what would that mean if it went the way that they- Well, the, the request is it, for the judge to order the state to um, either award the licenses or give a clear explanation as to why the licenses have not been awarded. Uh, the, it goes to the executive order that Governor Pritzker issued and the requirement in the executive order is that the governor has to explain within, I think, 45 days why it is that he issued an executive order and the state argued that, uh, well, the governor's explanation is it's COVID and that should be enough. And the craft growers are arguing, no, that's not really an explanation. Uh, yeah. There has to be some detail to it. The judge seems to agree with that. Um, I think the, the issue is, is that if the directs the governor to make an explanation, uh, then all of the executive orders, and there's a couple of dozen of them that the governor issued during uh, COVID, all of the executive orders would require an explanation. So that would create a new burden on the state that would be significant. So I think the judge is thinking that through very carefully. It's not just about cannabis. The What we know and conversations that I've had privately with government officials is that they know who who should be getting the licenses. Uh, they've, they've figured it out. They've gone through the awarding process, the scoring process, go, but holding on to the licenses because uh, they don't want to open up the possibility of new lawsuits, which is what's happening with the dispensaries because the scoring process for Craft Grow is similar and was conducted by the same company that conducted the dispensary licenses, KPMG. And KPMG right. is one of the parties named in the lawsuit in the dispensary cases. So I think the state is very concerned that that opens them up to new liability. Has anything else came out about KPMG? I remember hearing like really sketchy, sketchy shit for lack of better words about kpmg and by that i just mean that there seemed to be like a clear conflict of interest in the scoring i can't remember what it was but do you recall it was like this it was like somebody just found this guy this guy's facebook account and he was like maybe one of like listed on the applications or something but also oh, yes the, the sun times did report and and we confirmed that there is an individual who um was in a kp is a kpmg employee that was one of the winning teams in the dispensary, the dispensary license round, first round. Um, although that did not disqualify him from applying, it certainly doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, 
more concerning that we reported is that KPMG scoring process, really the only requirement for a person that is managing the scoring is, is that they're a college graduate, which means that you could have a bunch of 21-year-olds 20, right out of college uh, that are doing all the scoring. And, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think that I had all my stuff together when I was 21. And right. I think, you know, these are multi-million dollar decisions and for them to be left to potentially uh, a group of not very well prepared people um, is significant. KPMG has not come back to say that it was anybody that was more suited and they have not demonstrated that it was a rigorous process for their scoring. So it doesn't look like it was done very well. Well, that sounds just about like good old Illinois. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> it. If I was scoring applications at 21, I mean, all you'd have to have is a cool name and hand me a case of beer and boom, you're in. You got your license. Yeah. So yep. I'm, I mean, I know that that was just like a, a hypothetical situation that could happen. And hopefully that was not actually the case. But um, yeah, just to know that all you have to have is your college degree and what well, you can determine the fate of these multi-million dollar companies this might be a stupid question but what would you have seen to be like a suitable requirement for scoring those applications um you know i think having some sort of uh back i mean each of the different things if so each of the different sections if you had uh, somebody that had some sort of a security background and sure. in the security section. If you had somebody that had uh, knowledge of um, uh, of uh, communities that have been um, affected by the war on drugs, I think those would have been good people. You know, right. sociologists maybe or. Um, people active in those communities i think that would have been important and useful right so ba i get what you're saying now basically like you know the different parts of the applications like you said security was a big part of it um social equity was a big part of it you know and so kind of like special you'd think that there would be people with credentials or AK, you know for in other words you know specialized folks that would you know, know about these certain areas and provide their input rather than just, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of an assortment and the, of individuals. The irony, the irony of the statement of work uh, that KPNG had prepared for the state was that for each of these different sections, they went through all these details, credentials that you could have if you're reviewing one of the sections. And then it says, or a recent college graduate. Hmm. so you know you're just sort of like what's the point you know you're right. gonna go we we know how consulting firms work they try and lower the cost of managing the project as much as possible so that they can make the most money uh, that's what they're incented to do so of course they're gonna go with the thing that's gonna be the easiest right um so i just saw i was just checking the news saw six hours ago reported by the Chicago Tribune that uh, Zenleaf uh, is going to be opening up a dispensary in Naperville. Sunnyside is going to be following on Wednesday. 
Um, so uh, there's going to be a few more dispensaries open here in the state of Illinois. That's going to bring us to somewhere in the 70 store ballpark. Is that right? Like, yeah, I think we're well. I think we're around 75 at this point. 75. Okay, we're getting to the 80s. I think yeah. those new dispensaries opening up are adult use only. Is that correct? Because yes. Yeah, I was going to say I don't think you can. I think right now it's probably easier to get adult use only than to try to get medical. You can't get a medical. Or, there are yeah. no more medical licenses, just the 55. That, and so everything that else. drives me nuts, by the way. I know that this yeah. is what it is, but like it drives me nuts that there's only like, and there's no real plans to expand medical at this point right now. Um, I mean, I know there's being there's some changes being tossed around. Um, Bob Morgan, I think we reported recently, is um, one of the. Ch I don't know, Mike, if you've heard about this, um, and if you haven't, I can send you uh, some information on it if you want to look into it. Uh, uh, Bob Morgan reported he's going to be um, pushing a bill next legislative session um, this spring, and. Um, Basically, it's like there's an excess of money in the medical cannabis program, and the, the program was never designed to profit the state of Illinois. It was meant to fund the IT and resources needed to process everything to do with the Illinois medical cannabis program. And so one, one thing he's trying to do is basically, or what it will do is if you've I can't remember the qualifications and if you guys are interested, look it up. Bob Morgan, he's made a few posts on social media about it, specifically on the medical cannabis community. Um, he's basically pushing for if you, I think it's like if you've purchased within the last six months, kind of a weird metric to go by, by the way, because you know, this program has been going for years tw since 2014 and with some of the symptom or some of the Qualifying conditions. Qualifying conditions that it was limited to when when it launched. Like I don't mean to just. I'm just gonna get right to the point. Some of the people are dead probably by now. Mm -hmm. You know. Um. So, but anyway, what the the goal of his thing, just to get to the point, is uh, if you've purchased like I think within the last six months, uh, you could qualify for two hundred fifty dollars back from the state, um, from the Illinois Medical Cannabis Program, uh, for money that you have. Um, put down on the program um, for certifications and, and the like. Um, and, and also he's talking about actually bringing those fees down at this point. Um, and I specifically asked him about, uh, because he, I've got a copy of the memo, you know, that it's like those memos come out and they like to forget that they exist. It's like, <laughs> I'm, and I'm being condescending, but one of the things he promised is that Illinois would allow for um, refunds and exchanges now. And so I asked him about that because some of these things that he's talking about, um, oh, one, one other thing he's talking about is defining lifelong conditions. So now medical cannabis patients won't have to recertify if they have a lifelong condition. Um, and so like I say, on that memo, he also had mentioned refunds and exchanges. I asked him about that, he said he'd follow up with me. He hasn't, but he expects lifelong conditions to be defined within the next two months, the rules to be released on that. Um, so that's exciting. Um, so, um, our argument with that though, is, um, that there are not very many conditions on that list that wouldn't be lifelong, um, illnesses, especially, you know, given that like for me, I've got back issues. That's what I've got my medical card for. And 
if I'm not, if I don't have medical insurance, then there's no possibility of me being able to go and get the surgery to get that corrected. So in my instance, without medical insurance, you know, that is a lifelong condition. So I'll be interested to see how they define those. It's also not a qualifying condition, though, just to be to put you on the spot. It is. <laughs> I don't. Well, chronic pain, I guess. Yeah, never mind. I, I'll back up here, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was looking for another article that I just saw produced within the last week or so. I can't find it. It was not produced by GrownN.com. Once again, we're joined by Mike Fouché from GrownN.com. <laughs> I like to say that it's a cannabis industry newsletter that I'm obsessed with. Um, we're going to be wrapping it up here pretty soon. Uh, but I was looking for an article, and maybe you're familiar with these numbers, but I, just off the top of my head, it said something to the effect, something to, to the effect that Illinois cannabis sales have recently kind of flattened out. Do you, have you heard anything about that? It has a little bit uh, it, over the last uh, couple of months. And, uh, you know, that it's hard to say exactly why. Um, maybe it's seasonal. Maybe it's that... Uh, you know the prices are too high legally the legal prices are too high uh maybe it's that uh, there just aren't enough facilities for people to go it's not convenient enough that's hard to say um it's interesting because illinois has flattened out and and michigan continues to grow um so who knows right yeah uh, michigan's making some moves recently it seems to just I mean, the, I think the last time we spoke, they had uh, kind of made a robust policy in the MRA um, and so that they could, you know, kind of fast track approvals for licensing. Is everything still going good up, up there in Michigan? It's going well. Uh, there's a lot of accusations that it's not growing as fast as it should. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be generally going much smoother than it is in Illinois. That's for sure. Cool. Well, as we wrap up, you know, we we do have some industry uh, listeners on the podcast, and I didn't uh, I didn't know if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your new online training solution, Grown In Learning. Sure. Um, well, Grown In Learning, we've been running it for about two months now, uh, and uh, maybe three. Uh, and we offer four cannabis companies uh, training for a whole series of different things, everything from uh, the Illinois vendor, uh, responsible vendor training to OSHA requirements to the state mandated harassment prevention courses, uh, bud tender training. Uh, the idea is to be able to help cannabis companies with their HR needs, getting people trained up. Uh, as they add new people to their teams. And the great thing is, is that our training comes from highly qualified uh, companies. Uh, our uh, responsible vendor training comes from a, a firm called Illinois Equity Staffing, uh, which is a, a social equity organization. Uh, and then also our harassment prevention and other HR training is done in conjunction with the YWCA of Metropolitan Chicago. Uh, so we have some excellent organizations that we're working with, and it's all online. Uh, so you know, once you get a sign-in for somebody on your company's team, they can do the training anywhere they want. It includes video, it includes text, it includes links to other things if they want to educate themselves more, and then a series of quizzes 
uh, that certifies whether or not they've actually taken the training and whether or not they're ready to go. Uh, and so then the uh, managers of a company can see who's passed and not passed and who's certified and not certified. It's a really easy process for companies to be able to get their teams trained up and ready to go for cannabis. I think that's awesome. And, um, you know, I, I think that there should be a push in Illinois to have, um, you know, bud tender education requirements. Um, cause I know, I believe up in Michigan, they've got like a requirement where bud tenders must be trained on like terpenes and that kind of thing. And here in Illinois, it's kind of, you come into the dispensary, the person who's been there a little bit longer than you tells you everything that they know, which may or may not be accurate. Um, and then you pass that on to everybody that walks into that dispensary, either as an employee or as a customer. Um, so I think it's really awesome that you put together a whole training program that companies can put their employees through just to make sure that, um, you know, where they continue to educate their consumers on best practices as far as consumption, as far as choosing the right medicine for you or the right products. Um, I think that's really awesome that you guys put that together. Well done. Thank yes. you so yeah. much. Yeah, we, we love to see companies be able to level set, uh, particularly since uh, there is a lot of turnover in dispensaries and cultivation facilities. You know, we want to give companies an opportunity to be able to uh, make sure that everybody has a basic level of knowledge that they operate from. Yeah, folks. So if you go to grownin.com slash learning, you can find out about grown-in learning um, and how to train your cannabis team um, effortlessly, as they say. Yeah. So, um, check it out, folks. It's really awesome. And uh, I just wanted to uh, once again, thank you, Mike, for coming on to um, the Chillinois podcast and updating our listeners on what the hell is going on in this industry. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me guys. I, I really appreciate it. And, and it's great to be here. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Cause uh, I just have to say, I wanted to tell you on air that um, you're consistently marked as one of uh, the favorite guests uh, that we've had um, when we've asked for feedback and stuff. So um, just wanted to, you know, formally pass that on to you on air that that our listeners love you man and love what you and brad and uh grown in uh what you, what you guys are doing there at grownin.com yeah the so. whole team doing a great job well thank you so much so sign up for our uh newsletter and then tell all your friends and get free stuff hell yeah yeah folks you can get swag you know we know how you love the swag so go to grownin.com tell your friends about it get those referrals and get that swag so and uh, seriously, it's honestly one of the best, uh, you know, sources of news here in the state. Uh, we use it to report um, all the time, as you folks know. We're, we're constantly saying, as reported by grownin.com. So um, check them out. You know, you can, if you sign up for their newsletter, you can get it before, before you hear it on the podcast. So um, cool. Well, uh, Mike, thank you once again for joining us uh, on air um, do you have any, like besides grownin.com, do you guys have any social media that you want to plug before we go? I always try to make sure we plug everything. Uh, tweet grown in is our social media. We're not cool enough to do Instagram. <laughs> uh, 
because there's really nothing that we want to show you pictures of of our lives. <laughs> I love it. Well, it looks like you guys are on LinkedIn as well. Um, so, uh, and I always like to say this, if you want to, you know, because, you know, we want better reporting, right? And like I told you, we've got people in the industry um, that listen to this podcast. So if you guys have a lead or if you even have an editorial question, you can contact Mike or Brad at GrownIn. Just go to grownin.com slash about. You can read about them and you can find that contact info. So if you guys got a lead or a question about their editorials, um, the, all that contact info is there. And the information about grown in is at grownin.com slash about Mike. Once again, thank you for joining us on air uh, on the chill podcast. Thank you, Cole and Justine. Thank you.